You're listening to Pastor Greg Voorhees, recorded at Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church on Sunday, November 6, 2022. For more information about our church, you can visit the website svbcfamily.com or you can find us on all things social at svbcfamily. I don't know if you're allowed to talk about Holy Ghost goosebumps in the Baptist Church, but that's what that is. (laughs) That's just teasing. You on his mind. This message has been the one that I have known was coming since I knew I was coming. I just didn't know it was today until about two weeks ago. Lost things. Lost things. This is why we're here. This is why we exist. For lost things. This is the reason that Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Jesus, Messiah. This is the very reason why he stepped out of glory. You know, he had it all before he came for us, he already had it. He had anything, anything. He could just speak it and it would happen. We knew that from first with John chapter one. Everything that was ever, ever existed, he created. But lost things is why he stepped down and put on flesh like what you and I have to save lost things. We're going to be staying in Luke 15. In fact, we're going to stay on the Luke 15 slide. Interestingly enough, and I've talked about this, my computer's frozen. Imagine that. Well, I guess we're going off, uh, maybe it'll unfreeze. Who knows? We're going to be looking at a story where Jesus was in a group of teachers and Pharisees, and we're going to actually see that in in, in the Scripture here in a second. But I've talked about in the past here, whenever you see anything repeated in the Bible three times in a row, it's because there's supposed to be particular emphasis. This, this This was a Hebrew language thing that kind of I think kind of bled over even, I don't know if it was so much a Greek thing as much as the kind of the culture, but if it's mentioned three times, it's emphasis. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy. Three times, because they were emphasizing the holiness of God. In this case, when Jesus is in this group of people, he tells three stories about lost things. Do you think that Jesus is really trying to say here that lost things is a really important thing in this conversation? I would agree that, or argue that yes. The very first thing he talks about is lost sheep. Of the three stories, this is actually my very favorite. I can't believe this thing stopped working. I'm going to have to read it off the screens. I'm sorry. 
So Luke 15, verses 1 through 7, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. The tax collectors and the sinners. So who was Jesus hanging out with right off the bat? Sinners, lost things. This is the group he was hanging out with, lost things. Tax collectors especially. Something you, and this is something you need to understand about Matthew, why Matthew was not a liked guy. If you were a tax collector, you were a traitor. Especially if you were a Jewish guy who was a tax collector because you were helping the Romans bring persecution into the lives of the Hebrew people. So Jesus is hanging out with these tax collectors and sinners, which was blowing their mind away in the first place. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. Muttered. Can you believe that, Jesus? How often do we mutter? You know, it's where we're not really even, we're not really even standing up and saying something about something. We're just kind of complaining to the person we're with. You know, what, what do you think about that, Daryl? You know, what do you think about that, Kathy? They, they were muttering amongst themselves, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them? And then Jesus told them this parable. Here's the thing about Jesus. Again, you don't pull one over on him. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're thinking. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. hundred sheep. Only one's lost. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Ninety-nine sheep. You know, in the, in the world of... of, of Things like the military and business, a 1% loss is considered acceptable. It just is. If you're only losing 1% of your people, hey, hey, you're only losing 1% of your money, it's a good year, especially now. But you want to know what? Our economy and God's economy are not the same thing. The one sheep that got lost was so valuable to the good shepherd that he would leave the 99 to go after them. Can you picture that? Let's say, let's look at the church. We don't even have 99 people here. If Wanda decides to go out and be a party girl this week, Jesus would leave this church to go looking for Wanda. There are no acceptable losses in God's eyes. Why is that? Because every single one of you have that type of value to the Savior. Every single one of you. If you walked in this door and you felt insignificant, that's a lie from hell. If you walked into this room and you felt that you didn't deserve to be here or anywhere else with the people of God, that is a lie from hell. I don't care what you've done, where you've been, or who you've done it with. You are so valuable to the Savior, He would leave the 99 to come for you. 
Maybe we as a church need to start looking for that lost sheep. Maybe we need to start going to the wilderness and looking for the lost sheep. You know, I thought about this too. How did the sheep get lost? Did he just wander off? Is it just the, the message, just the fact that he was lost, period? You know something, I don't know this about sheep, but I know this about other animals. It seems like animals sometimes, if there's somebody who's not like everybody else, they have a way of sh- pushing them out. Does that happen? It happens. It definitely happens in the animal world. So I'm just, I'm just wondering, did the sheep, did he wander off? Because maybe he wasn't, he wasn't like the others. <laughs> or maybe he's a sheep. He was just dumb and wandered off. Who knows? But whether he was ostracized and pushed out by the group, whether he just wandered off because he was a dumb animal, or the whole point is just the fact that he was lost. The fact is that he was lost. And Jesus cared so much that he would pursue him, leaving the 99 into the open field. If I was a shepherd, I had, and it was my sheep, and I had to pay for those sheep, and I knew there were wolves around, I'm not so sure I'd leave the 99. Not sure I'd do it. But he's not even done with this story. I tell you that in the same way, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You want to get heaven excited? Be lost and get found. (laughs) That is the stuff that gets heaven excited. It does. That's not saying that heaven doesn't appreciate and love those who aren't, lo- who, who aren't lost. But it's saying that that one that gets lost, that's lost, and when they come back, they get super excited because you want to know why. That was the whole reason Jesus died on the cross. Because when a sinner comes to the Lord, and when you're lost and you come to the Lord, it means that the, that the Savior's death wasn't for nothing. Every single time somebody comes to the Lord and they come to the cross and they accept Christ in their heart, it's just one more time that it shows that the Savior's sacrifice was not for nothing. Heaven gets excited when a sinner repents. Another story. Lost coin. And I swear it wasn't even until... This morning or last night, the, 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 the gigantic light bulb clicked on my head about this story. Because I thought, lost coin, you know, what? You know it's kind of, it, doesn't, it doesn't kind of quite fit with these. It, it occurred to me, he's talking to tax collectors. This is going to really mean something to them. A lost coin. What's the deal with the lost coin? Story number two, Luke 15, 8 through 10. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. Again, a 1% loss. Was that acceptable to this woman? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. 
That one coin was valuable enough for her to stop what she was doing. The light, the lights. She was probably down on the ground. She was sweeping and down on the ground looking, going anywhere she could in her room, anywhere to find the lost coin because it was that important to her. It was that important to her. How do we also know it was important? She found it. And just this one little coin, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. There was a party going on over one lost coin. Well, Jesus hits this one again. And in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Do you think Jesus is trying to make a point? There is a party going on in heaven when sinners come to the Lord. If you've not accepted Christ in your Savior, whether you're in this room or you're watching me on that camera over there on the internet, you are so valuable that He pursues you and He goes after you and He doesn't look at you as, a, as, as an acceptable loss. You're not an acceptable loss to the Lord. You are important. You are valuable. He loves you. And when you come to Him, there is a party. Going on in heaven. Jesus just, this isn't an object lesson. Jesus is saying, there is a party going on. All you party animals out there. But we're going to really look at this last one. A lost son. Jesus continued the story. Story number three. And he continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of my estate. So he divided his property between them. Let's stop there for a second. What is he saying? The son. Give me a share of my estate. So the father divided his property between them, the two sons. The son was so self-centered and he only cared about himself. What is his estate? It's his inheritance. He is saying, give me my inheritance now. What is he sa- What's the real message here? Your stuff, he's saying this to his father, your stuff is more important to me than you are. This is from the son to the father. I would just assume you'd be dead because I want my inheritance. Give me my inheritance now. Don't make me wait. Let me go my way. Do we do that before Christ? We work really, really hard to have the fancy cars and the big houses. And again, there's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with being blessed by God. But what is your focus? Is your concern more about the stuff that you can earn or the job titles that you can accomplish or the things that you can do? Or is the Father more important? That's what the Son's saying. Give me my inheritance. I don't care if you were dead. That's, that's a low thing. That is a low thing. You know what amazes me even more? The extravagance of the love of the Father just to give it to Him. You know what? If one of my kids came to me and said, Dad, give me, not that they have an inheritance. <laughs> but Dad, let's, let's, let's pretend I had something. 
Dad, give me, give me, give me my share. Give me my third so I can just go do my thing. You know what I would say? Pound sand, sister. That's my stuff. You don't get it until I die. <laughs> but the father, here, here's a little, just a look into the extravagant love of the father. Could you imagine how much it would have hurt him to divide up the property and give it to his two sons? Because he knows what his son's saying. I'd rather have your stuff than you. I can tell you, I've lost my father this year. There isn't any amount of stuff that I have that's worth losing him over. It's just not. It's just not. So I don't get this, son. The flesh side of me says, if I was there, I'd want to beat this man down. <laughs> and not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. What messages does this send him? His wild living was more important than his father. Doing whatever he wants. Chicks, booze, but sex and drugs and rock and roll, man. That was more important to him than his father. Because that's basically what he squandered it on. He spent everything there was. And then the severe famine in that whole country, it, it came upon him and he began to be in need. So now, now what has he got? Nothing. Let me tell you something about party life. When the party's over, your buddies leave. They do. When the party's over, when he ran out of money, the women went away. When he ran out of money, his drinking buddies went away. So now what does he have? Nothing but need. He threw away his father threw away his inheritance, and now he has nothing. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Here's a cultural thing. This is something you really, you really need to grasp this. Feeding pigs in their culture is, 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 is farming. It's good, honest work. Mind you, this is a Jewish context. This is in a time when food laws were still a thing. And when there was still separation between Jews and Gentiles and all these things. So for a Jewish or a Hebrew man to have to go feed pigs, it was about as low of a thing that he could do. They weren't even clean enough to eat, but he was having to feed them. Oh, my, do the choices that we make in our lives take us to low places. Like I said, I can think of many places that are much lower in my context. You know, when a perfect example of this is one time, Dad was in, actually in the hospital, Johns Hopkins, and I was going to Baltimore. By the way, if you're ever in Baltimore and you see the blue flashy lights, get out of that area. <laughs> and unfortunately, 
I mean the ones on the light poles. They're telling you this is the bad place. Stay, stay away. Unfortunately, Johns Hopkins is surrounded by these, these places. So I'm driving down very slowly, and I'm looking around, and there's like people laying in the street. Some of them may have been dead. Some of them were probably overdosing. I stopped at one point, and this guy goes running across, almost goes over the front of my car, and the police are going after him on their bicycles. I mean, it's just like, there are low places. Some of these people living on the street, strung out on drugs and alcohol, who really have put themselves in positions because of their choices, where they have no choices now. This is where this guy has got himself. He ran not to the Father, like our song, he ran from the Father. And now he's landed himself in the job that in his culture was the lowest place he could be. Oh, it's even lower. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. The pigs were eating better than he was. He's starving to death, and he can't eat the, he can't eat the pods. He's having to... Feed what's in his mind the filthiest animal that probably ever walked the face of the earth. And he's having to feed the pig food that he would have given anything for. He was at rock bottom. He was at the bottom of the barrel. In fact, he may have scratched his way through the bottom of the barrel. He was probably under the barrel at this point. When he came to his senses, how often... You know, sometimes it takes us to hit the bottom for us to come to our senses. <laughs> it does. That's one thing you learn in recovery. For often, too often, an addict doesn't want to change their behavior until they've hit the bottom. He's at the bottom. So now he's came to his senses. He's having the, the light bulb moment. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. He's learned a taste of humility. The bottom will do that for you. Anytime you get a big head about yourself, I can tell you the way, the, the, the cure for the big head, the humility is hitting that bottom. He understands his circumstance. He's not, he's not going back with the intent to be the younger son again. He's like, I know I don't deserve that. Maybe if I just work for my daddy, at least I'll... At least I'll have food. I'll have something. So he came to his senses and realized that even the ser- his father's servants lived a better life than what his life, where it had taken him. Oh, my. <laughs> I love this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. It was filled with compassion for him. I can somehow picture, I can't picture their house, but let's say it was like my house. 
Daddy's sitting on the porch, just looking, wanting, caring. I wish he'd come back. I'd wish he'd come back. Why? Because like the lost sheep, he's lost, but he has value. He's still a sheep. The coin, even though it's lost, has value. It's still a coin. In the mind of the Father, he may be lost, but he's still a son. God loves you. And when we're doing our own thing, and we all do it. Before Christ, our whole life was doing our own thing. And I hate to break it to you, sometimes as believers, we start doing our own thing again. It's happened to me. I've had a crisis of faith. I stopped going to church. I stopped talking to God many, many years ago. You know, 30-ish years ago. But the Father still stood, and he waited, hoping. You know what's really cool about air, air context, though? He still sends his Holy Spirit after you. <laughs> you are never alone, especially if you were a believer. If you are a believer, even when you've gone to distant lands, you're not alone. The Holy Spirit passionately pursues you and draws you back to the Father. Well, he's, he's watching for a son and when he saw his son from a great distance, was he angry? I probably would have been. What nerve does that boy of mine have? That, that's me now. What nerve? After he told me he'd just assumed me be dead and he wants money, and now he's crawling back on his belly? What nerve? What gall? I wish I could say I always thought like God, but I don't. Let's keep it real here. I thought, you know, that, that's, that's a, that takes nerve. That takes nerve for him to come back here. But he ran to his son. There's an aspect here in, 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 in the culture that I, I never even realized until I, I was writing the paper about this years ago. The servants and everybody, even in like the village area, they would have loved and been protective over the father. So when they had seen the son, they may have looked at the son the way I did. I'm going to get that boy. After what he did to his daddy, I'm going to get him. So there's two things. A, not only does the father not make him crawl on his belly, the father's running to him because he wants him, but he's, there's an aspect of protection. Nobody's going to touch my son. I love my son. Come to me. Come to me. He, and I could picture him running to his son to protect him and to love him and embrace him and to take him back and say, I've missed you. That's your father in heaven. That's the way your father in heaven looks at you. And he threw his arms around him and kissed him and said to him, Father, and, and, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The son still gets it. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. 
Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate a party in heaven when the lost come to the Father. The son didn't deserve that. I don't deserve the grace God has given me. I don't deserve. This isn't a bad, bad Greg thing. Because I have sinned and was born with a sin nature, I don't deserve the graces God has just poured upon me. So when I came crawling on my belly back to the Father for the first time, He didn't say you should have known better. I felt loved. I felt embraced. I'll never forget that day. Again, I told you fishnet. I remember. God, I need you. My knees did one of these things. I'm like, I got it. I got it. Somebody needs to help me up. I understood it. It's not what you deserve. The son didn't get what he deserved. The son deserved to be beat down by the village folk before he even got there. (laughs) The son deserved to be saying, you know what, you had your chance. But the father embraced him, loved him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on the feet, killed the fatted calf. A party. Oh, but the story doesn't end there. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of the servants and asked him, what's what's going on? He said, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. So now the father is rejoicing. He's partying. But the older brother became angry and, and refused to go in. So his father went out and and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've slaved for you and have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you've never given us even a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends. The older son. In the story, who who is the older son? Picture who he's talking to. It was the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Why? Because God had always given them everything. Anything the Father had, He gave His people. Read the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the whole thing is about God rescuing the Hebrew people. And then in turn, through the Hebrew people, rescuing the rest of us. So the Pharisees and the law guys... There's this, this older brother, and they get angry. They were probably, I can picture them being angry. Why is he giving grace to these sinners? Why is he giving grace to, to, these, to these tax collectors? We've always done what he said. We've studied the law. We've never broken them. We've offered the sacrifices we were supposed to offer. We've done everything. We've worn the fancy clothes. We've done all the things that I was supposed to do. I didn't eat the stuff that he told me not to eat. I did all of these things, and he didn't even give me a goat. But this other son, who's never done anything for him, he gives it all for him. So in the context, in the Bible, in the story, the Pharisees and the law people were the older son. But can that apply to us? 
I believe it absolutely can. How often have we gotten so proud of ourselves for what we've done for God? We've built this beautiful building. We've had, we've had tent revivals, and we've had this, and we've had that, and we've worked so hard for God, and we've done all these things, and we've given a 10%, 20% of everything we've ever earned, and we've given it to the poor. But, you know, but then this guy, this drug dealer comes along and gets on his knees, and God's going to give him the same thing that he gave me? Do we do that as a people of God? I think sometimes we do. What, what, a few weeks ago, I talked about these people, the, you know, the, the double-minded person, unstable in all of our ways. We can't want to passionately pursue the lost and say we want the lost to come in these doors and to show them to Jesus and then get ticked off when they walk through the door and they come to Jesus. It doesn't work that way. We need to have the passion the Father has for the lost. So there's two very distinct groups of people being spoke to in this story. If you are church folk, you need to be passionate about the lost. Everything we do, the Great Commission, go, 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 go. Make disciples. What is that all about? Being passionate about the lost. And being excited for them. If Jesus gets excited and there's rejoicing in the heavens and the angels are just doing a little dance every time somebody came to the Lord, shouldn't we be doing the same thing? Yes, we should be. We should be trying to save people, bring an end to be saved by the Holy Spirit so we can dance with them. But the, the older brother wasn't like that. He got ticked off. I don't want to be the older brother. Don't want to be the older brother. But when, this, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property and prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Here's the father. My, my son, the father says, you were always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. I'm going to show a very short video here in a second, but I want to explain what this is. It's very short. Trust me, I'm watching the time. There was a lost person who we got to know pretty well in Scripture. Not as much as I would have liked to have. But it was a, a sinner who was possessed by demons. It was a lady named Mary. She came from a little fishing village called Magdala. So that's why we call her Mary the Magdalene. She was Mary from Magdala. How she got broken, we don't know. Well, people tell you, oh yeah, she was a prostitute, and she was traumatized. I've seen people say, well, she was actually a rich woman. We don't know any of these things. But we do know that she was possessed by demons. So something bad probably went down in her life. Whatever the case may be. But then this very short clip from The Chosen. Mary, who has been running. Mary, who's been running from God. 
And if you ever watch the TV show, the, the, the Chosen, at one point even Nicodemus tried to help her, and he's like, ah, she's too far gone from me. But then she had an encounter with Messiah. She had an encounter with Jesus. 